Good afternoon, Ali. How are you? Good afternoon, Bernard. I'm good. I'm good. How are you, friend? Good, 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 good. I'm a little tired. I haven't slept today. Three in the morning <laughs> in the West Coast. But we got to get through this one. Yeah, this is important. So we have, I mean, to cope with it. Right, right. I heard you, you telling me you were having a rough day today. So I hope. I hope you're feeling better and not too tired as well. Yeah. <laughs> I was having some, you know, some troubles with my wife today. I, I took her to the hospital and just came back. But since the topic is very important, I I fought hard to join you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I hope she feels better. Hope she she gets better really quick. Hopefully, hope, hopefully. Hope for the best. Hope for the best. So today, um, thank you again. Thank you for, for joining me. We've been talking about this for a couple of days already. And we're doing this fairly quickly, uh, this episode fairly quickly and unexpected just because we, we, we got lucky and we got this, the, the copy of the UN panel of experts report that's coming out at the end of this month. Uh, we already saw Reuters uh, came out with, with an article on Tuesday. Uh, focusing on the finance section, uh, but we're, what we want to do is we want to dissect the, the the report that we have so far, keeping in mind that what we have is a draft. I believe is a draft uh, of the report. It's not the final report. Um, it looks like it was just submitted to the committee. So we we want to look at what the the UN panel. Uh, UN Security Panel on Yemen has been discussing for the last year almost, uh, since April uh, of last year, uh, their investigations. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to have been part of the UN panel 2017-2018. Um, Excuse me. And so keeping up, so keeping up with these uh, reports is a hobby for me more than anything almost, but it is very important when we're talking about Yemen because it sort of, you know, wraps up uh, a lot of, of what's been going on on the ground in Yemen from a different perspective. And, and it's always interesting to see their investigations, uh, keeping up with the mandate uh, again. And so for, for me to share it with you, and, and asking you to, to help me go through it, it's definitely interesting because for the first time, you know, I'll have a, a Yemeni perspective on this. And um, give me a second. And, and I want to get to, I want to get to you to, to help me understand, you know, what Yemenis how Yemenis see these reports, you know, how, what, what are Yemenis talking about when they read uh, such reports about the conflict in their own country? Uh, okay, okay. So first, <clears throat> we are going to come out with the audio, the audible version of this episode, uh, because unfortunately it's going to take a little bit longer to edit the, the video. So I hope that I am able to, that, that I'm good at keeping track of what we talk about, you, you know, that, that's going to come out on the 
audio version versus what's going to come out in the video because we're going to share some stuff. I want to share the report, some of the, the, the text of the report so, 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 our, so our viewers are, uh, can follow, but then also so our listeners are able to, to follow uh, when they can't see what we're sharing on the screen. But um, I'll make sure that, that, that we keep up with that so that we give our listeners, you know, a better, you know, graphic description of, of what we're sharing on the screen. And for those of you joining us uh, later on on YouTube, on the YouTube channel, you can see this video. Yeah, we hope that uh, it helps you uh, understand a little bit more what we're going to be discussing and how all of this uh, text uh, links to to what we see, what we're seeing today on the ground. So let's let's hope that there's no technical difficulties and I'm able to do this <laughs> fairly well. So you tell me. Uh, Ali, you tell me if you can't see it, if there's a problem, help me out, and uh, I can fix the glitches, yeah? Yeah, okay. Okay. So first, we're, we're going to go through, oh, well, there's the first glitch. Uh, first, we're going to go through the executive summary. You can see this, Ali? Yeah, I see it. I excellent. see it very clearly. Excellent, excellent. So for our listeners, uh, I'm posting, I'm sharing uh, on the screen, I'm sharing uh, the summary of the final report with some highlights from, from, from my notes. Uh, what I want to highlight uh, more or less from, from the summary, and this is just the, interact, the introductory uh, segment of, of the report by the panel, and it just uh, touches briefly on, on each of the sections that uh, make up the, the report. For, for those of you who have not read any of these reports and not familiar, what, what, we'll, what you're going to see is hmm, this report that's about 230 pages so far right now, um, might be less, might be a little bit more by the time they, they, they come up with a public version. Um, th this this report has four components. It has a political regional uh, section. Uh, it's then uh, followed by the weapons uh, sec portion, the weapons investigation into weapons uh, it, during the conflict. And then it goes to finance and then the IHL, the International Humanitarian Law uh, investigations at the end. And then they have a series of annexes that help explain most of the content uh, most of the text in, in, in the report, and we'll go through some of those. We'll go through some of those annexes so you can see the weapons that they're talking about, and we'll be able to link you up with some recent investigations that that, that we have on social media, for example, by think tanks or other uh, other individuals, uh, individual analysts that have looked at the conflict. Uh, the, this uh, report has a number of confidential. Uh, and access, we won't show those. We're not, you know, we're, I mean, it's bad enough that we get a leaked uh, version, but out of respect to the the, the, the framework of, of, of this uh, report, we won't share the information that is in the confidential portion uh, of this report. So we're only going to address that which is going to be public. Uh, this report as we're going to look at it, it will be public by the end of January, beginning of, uh, of 
of February. Okay, so then first the summary. So here we go. Uh, to begin uh, the, the first sentence, you know, the situation in Yemen has continued to de deteriorate with devastating consequences for the civilian population. I'm a little bit um, disappointed in, in this opening statement, let's say, and just because uh, when, when I was part of the panel, uh, the panel really got into using, you, you know, very realistic, very strong language in, in, in the summary. And, you know, we went from an opening statement where, you know, the, the panel highlighted the, the fact that Yemeni unity had disintegrated, the fact that it was very improbable. It would not be probable to reunite the country. And this was 2017, you know, before Ali Abdullah Saleh was killed, before the SDC uh, was founded. Um, before the clashes between GOI and the SDC, before Houthis, you know, got to within 30 kilos of uh, of City. So I think, in my opinion, the opening statement, the opening sentence for this should have been stronger. It should have really gone in and described the situation as it is. You know, this was written in December, uh, the first week of December 2020, but still, there was a lot going on by December, you know, we still didn't have the coalition government in the first week of December. What do you think, Ali? Uh, yeah, exactly, uh, Fernando. The, the opening sentence wasn't that, uh, I mean, uh, exclusive or uh, doesn't uh, give the whole picture or the, 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 the large picture for what ha has been happening here in, in, in Yemen. Um, also, uh, just, I mean, neglected or ignored uh, some big deals happening on the ground and just repeated what, what's ha what has been repeated by the media. Exactly, exactly. So then, you know, the, 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 the first paragraph continues to highlight the, the three factors uh, that are contributing to the, uh, you know, deterioration of, of the situation on the ground. Uh, and that is, you know, the, the economic profiteering by all Yemeni parties, which, you know, it's interesting in itself. It's not just focusing on the Houthis, uh, the corruption of Houthis, but it is talking about a number uh, of, uh, of actors on the ground uh, and how this is affecting human security. Uh, then there's also the continued violation of uh, IHL uh, with impunity by, you know, a number of actors. And then the escalation and fighting and the impact on the civil on, on civilians and, and, and aggravating the, the IDP situation, you know, more internally displaced persons um, because of the conflict. And there is a section on COVID. So, so we'll see and we'll see if the, the panel addressed that the impact, the, the, the role of COVID in the increase the increasing number of IDPs that we've seen uh, from yeah people. yeah Fernando Fer, Fer, Fernando let me translate to those who are following us uh, in Arabic uh, so they, they they can catch up and uh, see how the report of the panel was built uh, 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 ثلاثة عوامل رئيسية يعني تلخص الوضع 
Fernando, can, can, can you press it down a little bit from the beginning? Uh, yeah. Uh, the first thing is that the government is not able to do it. The يعني من 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 الاقتصاد او حورت الاقتصاد لصالحها وهما اثر على الـ 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 الامن الانساني وكذلك استمرار الانتهاكات لحقوق الانسان والقانون الانساني العالمي ومعظم هذه الانتهاكات التي حدثت للمدنيين مرت بدون عقاب وكذلك تصاعد اعمال الاشتباكات واعمال والمواجهات التي اثرت سلبا على المدنيين و يعني ما في ذلك للنزوح. Right, and then uh, what the panel then goes on to describe, you know, the how the government address, how the Government of Yemen has lost further has further lost uh, strategic territory to the Houthis and to the security to to the Southern Transitional Council. So this is interesting. This is more interesting, you know. Aside from the from the first from the first uh, sentence, that the panel recognizes that the SDC has now uh, pushed the GOY uh, out of strategic territory on the ground. And we're, we'll address this, but more specifically, you know, Aden, you know, the Aden, which is the interim capital uh, under the President Hadi. Uh, then uh, we continue, and then this is addresses this situation with the SDC, not just uh, the Houthis, but with the SDC within the the, the framework of, of UN Security Council two two one six of two thousand fifteen. So this is interesting, and we'll go over it later on further down. Um, the panel also uh, looks at Aydarus, uh, Zubaydi, and Hanibin Break uh, as uh, their actions constituting violations uh, of Resolution 2216 um, for destabilizing uh, the situation in Aden, Abiyan, Shebwa, and Socotra. So this is interesting, and, and we'll go through that. Uh, next, uh, the summary, the, the, the next paragraph addresses the tensions within the, the, the Houthi leadership, the, the infighting uh, that's been going on uh, among Houthi leaders. And in this case, uh, the, the panel highlights Mohammed Ali al-Houthi, a member of the Supreme Political Council, and Ahmed Hamid, um, the head. Uh, he is the secretary of the president, uh, Mashad, uh, yeah. of the Supreme yeah. Council. And... Uh, names uh, Abdul Karim Al Houthi, Abdul Karim Amir Al Din Al Houthi, uh, who is the current Minister of Interior and is the uncle of uh, Abdul Malik uh, Badr Al Din Al Houthi. So these are the two, and these are important. I'm mentioning their father's names because we, we'll we'll get into it later and uh, how we we see the two wings of the Houthi family, um, and we'll also touch on why we insist on saying the Houthi family, not the Houthi rebels, not the Houthi movement, etc. 
And then uh, it describes <clears throat> the uh, situation in tithes, which is very interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll address that um, as well in, in uh, naming uh, Sheikh Murat Maglafi, uh, who resides now in Turkey. He's not in, in, in tithes anymore. And then uh, we get into the situation uh, uh, of the failed Stockholm Agreement, which we went through with, you know, Stad Khaled al-Yamani on their first episode. And, and, uh, and then it gets into the role of Iran in specific, which is a big section. And, uh, uh, you know, I was surprised that Reuters uh, took the bait on, 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 the, on the finance section and instead of the Iran weapons section. So it was interesting. Usually uh, the media grab onto whatever, you know, the, the panel reports on Iran as the main headlines, but this time they went with the, the finance uh, section. Uh, interesting enough, then we get into, you know, the politics uh, where the panel starts addressing uh, the UAE, Saudi, uh, the, the relationship with, with, with the SDC, the role of the increasing role of Iran, the, the, the bigger footprint, uh, from the Islamic Republic and a section on Oman. And I know that, that you want to, you're very interested, Ali, in this section. Uh, this section mentions the role of mercy flights, uh, which we, we've been, I've discussed earlier and we've known since 2016. The role that the, the, these flights between Sanaa and Muscat uh, have played in the relation between uh, Houthis and Iran. Uh, and then the weapons section. So this is also interesting. This is something that I really want to highlight. The, the investigation, the weapons uh, uh, expert has been on the panel for about three years, I think. Uh, to, um, to three years. Um, uh, to, yeah, three years. Three years. And He's very good at this stuff, and he's he goes through the aerial, the UAVs, he goes through the mines, he goes through the missiles, so this stuff is really good. There's an investigation on the DAOs that have been seized, um, smuggling weapons, uh, and, and, and we'll go through that. And then there's the economic section, which uh, deals with uh, what Reuters reported about the corruption and the CBY in uh, contracts given to one particular uh, company. Uh, the IHL then moves into the torture, the line mines, the recruiting of children, uh, repression of journalism, the absence of the rule of law, et cetera, et cetera. So we're gonna go right through that really quick. Uh, Ali, anything you wanna highlight so far? Uh, no, th uh, thanks, Fernando. I, I think you have to go uh, step by step, so you, you, you give more details on every point. Right. So first, we're gonna go. We're gonna go through um, the finance section, right? So yeah, you wanna you wanna go through that. You wanna say something about that uh, first, Ali. Uh, it's very important point in the report, uh, Fernando, because uh, it uh, reveals something which, which has been, I mean, uh, confidential, and most of the public doesn't don't know anything about it. Uh, today, today, I mean, here in Adan, because I have seen some local 
journalists addressing this and tweeting about them, especially those, uh, the economic uh, analysts, I have seen some of them, they highlighting this, this exactly. And they said uh, the government also, or the, the president, take the decision to, to sack the attorney general before the, the, the UN banner report just appears, so they avoid to be, uh, to be held accountable. This is what, what, what they, they, have, they have been saying. Good, good, good. Okay, so then what I want to go through, um, I def I want to go through some of this stuff in the finance section. A big section of this is the, fi the, the finance expert looked at the Houthi finances, looked at a copy of the Houthi budget from 2019. And a big issue here was what the panel is referring to a drop in revenue and this is and in this the panel means you know the the government institutions in sana uh in through their taxation through their operations they should have had sufficient income coming from the areas they control from the private companies they control in in the territory they control so, uh, who's these control in order for them to make deposits into the CBY in Sana'a and be able to pay salaries, be able to share that revenue with President Hadi's uh, government. Yeah. But the way that the panel is this, the, describing the situation is the Houthis are diverting, diverting revenue from the private companies, from tax collection, tax collection. They're diverting that money either to themselves or to other projects, or the war effort. So the, the, the war effort, yes, the war effort. So instead of the government collecting taxes in order to pay for government employees, pay salaries, the the, the example of Kamaran uh, company, for example, is the cigarette company. Um, it's very interesting that they focus on Kamaran because. You know, the Ministry of Sports, of Youth and Sports, has a special tax on cigarettes that they collect and goes to the Youth and Sports, right? One, Kamaran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, for, for, for Fernando, uh, how much the panel estimated the revenue that the Houthis just received in uh, 2019? Yeah, the Reuters... Uh, Diversion of funds, they are estimating sixty-seven million dollars, so twenty-three, almost twenty-four billion reals, right? And it, that, but that's in twenty fifteen. So if we look since twenty fifteen, the panel has looked at the uh, at Kamaran and, and the the, the uh, this issue of the money and the taxation since twenty fifteen. So in twenty fifteen, it's six, the equivalent of sixty-four million dollars, almost sixty-five million dollars. Um, yeah. that is huge because, um, it can go up. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's just huge amounts uh, of money, especially because yeah. in 2017, the dollar was at 250 real. Exactly. So 
this is pretty big money. So in, in on paragraph 96 of this version, paragraph 96 of this version, the panel looks at coming out in tw- 2019, where they highlight more than eight and a half million real paid to members of parliamentary committees. You know, so uh, this is this instead of this money going instead of this money going to to pay salaries for for civil servants, it's gone directly to members of parliament, including yeah, the, the speaker. Yes, yes. You, you know, uh, some some of top leaders in the Houthi movement uh, benefited most of these heaps of money for themselves. And right. uh, Fernando, if you if, if you link if you link uh, what the panel just mentioned uh, with the, the last uh, video critique of Abdul Malik Al Houthi when he said that some Mushrifin have been consuming everything for them for, for their own interests. So right. because I, I have I have received information that some of those top uh, top leaders have been building huge right buildings villas yeah 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 apartment buildings and 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 their own villas so we'll get to this we'll 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 talk about this when we talk about the the politics and the infighting uh between you know the abdul malik uh wing and the abdul karim wing you know uh but just to highlight some of this stuff the panel highlights extortion of established uh businesses uh and mainly you know i've written about this uh on the on 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 the wing under the Abdul Karim Al Husi, you know, and these are the supervisors are under the Ministry of Interior. You, yeah. You know, and the supervisors are the ones that are that will will head. They're like, you know, shadow mayors, shadow ministers, uh, etc. And, and these yeah. are the people in charge yeah. of a lot of this stuff. Um, there is an interesting. There are two interesting things here. One is the panel didn't address, even though it addressed oil, uh, it didn't address wow. the uh, line from 2019 about the role of oil companies under names owned by Houthi leaders uh, that exactly. they've used that they've used to transfer oil into Hodeida or other parts smuggled or you know through on them through un inspections so i was surprised that we didn't see a follow-up on this because in 2018 2019 there was enough about oil and not just from the houthis but also from Aden. if you uh, if our, uh, if those people the, the yeah, those of yeah. you audience that have read these uh, our uh, reports will recall that uh, there was uh, a section on uh, government uh, officials owning uh, oil companies and controlling Bureka refinery, for example, or the problem of why Aden was not getting oil back in 2016, 2017. Yeah, yeah. So this is missed uh, altogether in, in, in this report. Uh, and also, another interesting thing is paragraph 97. Uh, Paragraph 97 and on paragraph 99, actually, that looks at uh, taking of a freeze uh, asset. Uh, the Houthis have been seizing assets of rivals, and mainly what they've done is they 
they've taken uh, properties belonging to government, GOY government officials living outside or their rivals, you know, whether it's from Motamad, Islah, or, or, or allies of the president. Uh, uh, the, this was uh, this uh, was totally missed, right? Yeah, but now they in, in paragraph ninety nine they look at Ali Abdullah Saleh. So now the Houthis are confis are finding legal ways of confiscating the properties of Ali Abdullah Saleh's family. You, you you know, so basically, what the Houthis can now say is, we are doing the work of the UN. The UN has an asset freeze on Ali Abdullah Saleh's properties <laughs> and assets. We are doing that job for the UN here in Yemen. You know, one of the one of, one of the big mistakes, though, and hopefully they fix it by the time the, the the report comes out, is you know it addresses properties and funds of Salah's children and mentions Tariq uh, and, and Ammar. These are nephews of Ali Abdullah Salah. These are not the sons of Ali Abdullah Salah. Uh, Khalid and Ahmed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you you know. Uh, are the sons uh, of uh, Ali Abdullah Saleh, but, but they should change that to relatives of Ali Abdullah Saleh. So this is very interesting, and I want to, you know, they, they appointed a special custodian, uh, a, a special judicial custodian. His name here before I, uh, Saleh Musfar Saleh al-Shahir, uh, um, he's named the yeah. judicial custodian of funds, and he is supposed to legally oversee the, the, you know, the taking of Ali Abdullah Salah's properties wherever they may be under their control. So that's interesting in itself. Now it gets to the, to, to the, good, to the good stuff, uh, sort of, uh, because we heard from our friend Labib Nasha in our first episode, we heard of this issue with the central bank, the corruption of the central yeah. bank. And yes. so this is uh, an interesting portion here that I'll highlight if I can move this stuff to share. So in paragraph 103, the, the, the report starts talking about corruption money laundering by officials associated with the Yemeni government, specific with the central bank in Aden. So again, this is interesting because Labib highlighted this during, during our interview uh, early this month. Second, we highlighted in, in the, the headlines uh, reporting that, that we do on every show uh, the interview with former CBY governor uh, Hafez Mu'ayyad, where he was calling in early January, he was calling for the UN Security Council to investigate this. And now on social media, we're seeing Yemenis uh, putting his face you, you know, out there and saying, well, when are they going to freeze Moayad's assets? You, you, you know, so it's it's interesting that other people are linking the Hafid Moayad while the, the panel itself is not is looking at the current governor uh, and other officials uh, currently in the government. So if we look through through these, uh, we see through these paragraphs, we see. Uh, the, the the panel linking a lot of this corruption to the WFP programs um, themselves and traders that import food either for the government or for the UN. And if you recall, there was a, a big uh, problem between the Houthis and the WFP uh, last uh, regarding 
you, you, you know, stealing a, a, a food, etc. So the fact that, that the panel is highlighting this, um, it, it's really interesting uh, today. It's really good work too. And we'll check out the, the I recommend people check out the, the annexes when they do come out. On the second section on paragraph 109, the panel looks at Hal Saeed's group, which this is pretty big in itself. Hal Saeed is the biggest merchant trading group in Yemen. And the, the panel is alleging that out of the near $2 billion the Saudis deposited for LCs, for lines of credit, uh, Hal Saeed was the biggest beneficiary uh, in receiving $872 million from this deposit. Uh, so they benefited in upwards of $194 million because they were giving preferential treatment with these lines of credit. Um, so definitely, this is really good stuff. They're really looking at the role uh, 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 of private companies. I, I, again, as I mentioned before, in 2018, 2019, the panel looked at a couple of um, advisors to the president that were benefiting from the oil uh, industry. But uh, that's for finance. That's it for me, Ali. What What are your comments? Yeah. Uh, first of all, Fernando, uh, can you show me the the pages of the report? So uh, let me tell the audience that who, who uh, follow us. I want to highlight some 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 points in Arabic. بالنسبة للجانب الاقتصادي ركز على على الـ الـ الأموال الطائلة التي جناها الحوثيون من عائدات النفط من من الضرائب من أسواق السوداء أيضا للمشتقات النفطية والتي بلغت في عام بلغت ثمانية مليون ونص ثمانية مليار ونص ريال وأيضا يس أوكي التقرير تحقق فقط من يعني من جانب واحد بالنسبة للضرائب الحوثيين يعني تحصلوا على أموال طائلة من شركة كمران اللي هي الخاصة بصناعة السجائر ومعظم هذه الأموال ذهبت إما لصالح مسؤولين في ملشات جماعة الحوثي أو ذهبت لصالح المجهود الحربي للجماعة وبالنسبة للحكومة التقرير قال بأن البنك اليمني المركزي أو التقرير حقق في قضية غسيل الأموال التي شارك فيها مسؤولين في الحكومة 
يعني ومؤثر على استيراد الموارد الغذائيه للمدنيين للمدنيين يعني التقرير قال اظهر بان 91 شركه تجاريه استفادت من الوديعه السعوديه يعني ثمان شركات حصلت على 48 بالمئة من نسبة واحد مليون واحد مليار دولار من الوجيع السعودية كل هذه الثمان هذه التسع الشركات كلها تنتمي إلى مجموعة هيل سعيد أنعم يعني وبالجزئية الثانية مع شركة أو مجموعة هيل سعيد أنعم تحصلت على ما مقداره 872 مليون دولار من الوديعه السعوديه يعني من خلال ثرو انرمس بزنس فينشرز ان ديفرنت سيكتورز من خلال بعض الاعمال في القطاعات المختلفه و ذاتس ذاتس ات ذاتس ات فرناندو So in the annexes, you know, the, the panel uh, provides documents from the Houthi budget, provides memos between Houthi leaders or between institutions and uh, focusing on Kamaran, how Kamaran requested this money. Now, keep in mind, again, I bring back, you, you, you know, I bring back Kamaran because of that cigarette tax that goes through the uh, Ministry of Youth and Sport. And I hate being a conspiracy theorist here, but I've discussed this plenty with people in Sana'a and with people outside, but the, the Ministry of Youth and Sport was assassinated in Sana'a late last year. You, you, you know, And for a while, there had been rumors of people closer to the Minister of Interior, wanting to change uh, Hassan Said, who was the, the minister at the time, wanting to change Hassan yeah. Said uh, because they wanted a share of, of the money being collected and being used by the Ministry uh, uh, of Youth and Sports. So when we look at what Kamaran, the transfers that Kamaran Uh, the, the amounts of, uh, of money handled by Kamaran, um, you, you know, you can see the fighting and why it was important uh, in the infighting between the leaders in Sana'a, fighting for control of Kamaran and fighting for control of the Ministry of Youth and Sport. You know, a lot of people just think of the Ministry of Youth and Sport handling, you know, all of these uh, sporting events and, and, and the Olympics and Olympic athletes and everything. but It's a big business because there is a lot of taxes, tax revenue that goes to the ministry, that, that, that goes to the ministry of youth and sport. Uh, okay, so, so next. So, so for, for Fernando, I think this reveals a thread uh, to why, why the, the minister of youth, the healthy minister of youth and sports was assassinated. It could. I mean, you know, like I said, I don't want to be a, a, a conspiracy theorist, but This has been something that was given to me that, that, that I've had conversations with when I asked, you know, who would want Hassan Said? You know, I, I knew Hassan Said from, for, for a while 
and he's a very you know quiet type of man he's he's very different than what we would see on media with him being so explosive and you you, you know he was accused of, of human rights violations and and a threat because he would he tweeted about children joining the militia and child soldiers and and mothers you know enlist your soldiers to the to the fight and everything so he was criticized for that and that sounded very you know aggravating from his part but in in person and on on the side it was he was very different so you know um he, him being killed i couldn't figure out why he would get killed you, you, you know uh but a lot of people brought up that the assassination you know there had been months and months of conflict among Houthi leaders uh and they said you know keep an eye on who's going to be the next minister of youth and sport you, you you know and who that new minister is linked to you know um actually the the deputy minister of youth and sport in Sanaa is from Abia you, you, you know it's another uh Zaidi uh leader from from Abia um that that you, you, you know, so that that's very interesting. So the, the, the panel does go into uh, the oil industry and discusses decree number 75, which was criticized since 2007, since it came out in 2018. Um, and, and it shows how it gave, um, it, it gave preferential treatment to, to companies such as Tomco, which is, you know, co-owned by people close to Abdul Malik Al-Ghuthi. You know, directly, you know, to, to re- related relatives of Mohammed Salah Flita, uh, who is uh, the spokesperson for Abdel Malik Al Husi. So, yeah, yeah, the, the, the spokesperson. Right. Uh, so there was nothing very much on uh, the asset freeze monitoring, except for two bank transfers. You, you know, this highlights. Um, on paragraph 119, that on May 2020, uh, a Swiss tribunal in favor of the uh, gave a decision in favor of the Swiss bank UBS, ordering the restitution to the bank of three folders containing sensitive information on two bank transfers totaling 65 million dollar wire transfer from UBS bank account uh, belonging to an unspecified listed individual to bank accounts in Singapore belonging to a family member of Ali Abdullah Saleh or Ahmed Ali Abdullah Saleh. So this is interesting. Um, there is a money laundering case in Switzerland, uh, but that's as far as it goes. It doesn't seem to have an annex um, on this showing anything further. The next section on paragraph 120 starts the IHL section. Um, and in the IHL section, again, I want to start with a little critique on my end because I'm a bit disappointed in the IHL section this year, knowing what happened in 20, in 2020, whether it was in the South, in Beida, Madib, Taiz, Ib, you know, uh, one interesting thing we don't see the conflict in Ib between the security services and the Mushrafin, the supervisors. Uh, a couple of yeah, security yeah. officials were killed, you know, in, in this fighting. Yes. Uh, there is also um, 
<clears throat> I might have missed it, but you correct me if I'm wrong. There is nothing about Amran uh, with the killing of the sheikhs in Amran by the supervisors. Um, you know, and, and the kidnapping of the sons of the sheikh, you know, just in late, uh, in early December, I think it was. Then uh, the infighting in Hajjah that continues, you know. Um, there are two IHL experts on the panel. And this is the annual report. And there's only seven and a half pages. There's tons of annexes explaining the issues, but there's only seven and a half pages when before we had 10, 12 pages. Uh, and again, uh, these things, in my opinion, needed to be addressed, especially because they're talking about the infighting between the Houthi leadership, within the Houthi leadership, not mentioning Ib and, and the killing and the, and, 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 and the problems in Ib is a big miss. Not mentioning Amran, what's going on in Amran is a big miss. Um, I think it was, you brought up the whole thing about Haima, which we went through on, on episode two with Ms. Farouk. I, I think, yeah. you, you know, it's understandable that they didn't mention that because, you know, it didn't escalate until this year. Um, it was, you know, too late for them to report because they were writing in December. But to miss the, what's going on in Ib, to miss what's going on in Amran is a big miss, in my opinion. Um, paragraph 122. Also, also, yep. also Fernando, I'm sorry, Fernando. Right. Also, they, they ignored the, the guerrilla uh, warfare that happened in, in Taiz city. I mean, uh, clashes repeatedly right. took place there uh, in the streets for many days between the, 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 the armed factions there and the non-state factions. Right. Many, many civilians were, were killed and no, no case of these cases were reported or right. mentioned. Or right, right. I mean, the, the, there were re the reports about the arrest and the reports about the killing of the commanders and everything, but... There was nothing about that conflict, which is a huge part of what's inflaming the conflict still in Taiz. Forget about the Houthis. There is fighting within the city of Taiz itself. Uh, and the Houthis are just sitting on the margins watching them fight. You, you, you know, um, the next section is interesting because it, it talks about meetings uh, between the panel and Jihad. Jihad is the joint incident assessment team. Uh, based in Sanaa Riyadh, this is a coalition uh, or entity, and and they're the ones that investigate the airstrikes by the coalition and all. And, and you know, we talked about this during our interview with uh, Khaled Yamani with regarding the, you, you know the, the targeting of the Roy Shan funeral uh, back in 2015 and, and, and other airstrikes, but. The, the panel touches on the meetings with Jihad, and in specific, uh, they they talk about the bus in Dabia and Dayan from uh, 2019 and the wedding in Bani Kais in 2018. Um, and so it's interesting that they bring up these the these issues. And again, we have to look at the uh, at the at the annexes, but it is disappointing that in the text itself uh, there isn't much. Uh, to talk, to say about this. Another disappointing segment of paragraph 126 is a five-line paragraph 
on the continued disappearance of Mustafa Hussein al Mutawakkil. You, you know, he was arrested in, in, in Madrid. And I remember that we've been, we were reporting when I was in 2017 about this arrest. And so it is, he's been in custody since 2018. Uh, this, it just says that the panel keeps sending letters. I mean, this is truly disappointing that the panel has not been able to, to deal with, with, with this case. The family has been asking uh, repeatedly since 2018 uh, for the whereabouts of Mr. Mutawakil, who was detained uh, going from Sana'a in Madrid. So that, you know, then later on, um, the paragraph 127 addresses the UAE uh, directly in reference to Belhab, the jail in Belhab, the prison in Rayan Airport, and uh, the facilities in uh, Dubai and Shahab um, that are still being used by the UAE and uh, Belhab by the Shabwani elites and Rayan by the Hadrami elites. It didn't go any further than that. There is no annex to go with this. Is there an annex to go with this? No. Uh, so I wish there would have been a little bit more uh, on that. And I'll go back to why it's important. Um, okay. And then it goes into the GOY uh, violations. Um, the extrajudicial killings. Uh, what I wanted to do is uh, there is an interesting, there is a very good work here because it looks at the use of schools in ties by militia, by government, uh, military forces. So that section is very good. Um, it highlighted exactly every single uh, school, more or less, uh, with, with some clear evidence. And, and I remember that, that, that the panel has been reporting since 2017 when I was the armed groups uh, expert in 2017. And I created this view of ties and, and with the map uh, detailed exactly who controlled which segment of the city itself, from Abu al-Abbas to Islah, 35th Brigade, 20, 22nd Brigade, uh, Islahi militia, ISIS uh, elements, and you know criminal organizations, which areas in the city they controlled and therefore which mosque and which schools they control. So, you know, the panel has been following this since 2017, at least when, when, when I was there. And, but, but it's very good. This is very good. And this serves to show that it's not just Houthis who are committing these IHL violations on the ground. You, you, you know, a lot of these groups that are fighting the Houthis are committing the same uh, violations using civilian institutions for military purposes. Um, so this also comes because they investigating the shelling of a hospital and the shelling of a school by the Houthis, but the Houthis came back. I remember these cases and the Houthis came back and said, these are not schools. These are military headquarters. There are mili there are militia in the school and they're, they're preparing to attack us from here. So we're shelling this. So unfortunately it does lend to Houthi excuses, you, you, you know, uh, for why they're shelling these civilian institutions and and, and um, the government in Taiz has addressed and saying, oh, the Mahlafi group 
has left the schools. Well, they have left now, but they were there for months. You, you, you know, uh, in, in the Sela area, for example, in Thais, uh, Junkuria area in Thais, for example, AQ, Ansara Sharia, use uh, police stations, use schools, use mosques uh, for their fighters in, in, in 2016, 2017. So this is definitely something that, that people need to keep an eye on. Um, and, it, it, and it's really, really good. Uh, again, it touches on child soldiers, obstruction of aid, uh, and the explosives used by Houthis, and a few lines about the Baha'i uh, detainees. Uh, your comments, Ali? Yes, uh, as, as uh, I mentioned, uh, Fernando, the report neglected lots of, of, of violations that happened during the, the, the last year. Uh, and as, uh, in Amran, as, as, as you mentioned, uh, also in Al-Baba, if you remember, uh, Fernando, uh, the clashes that happened in Bani Awab, Yep. And in, in Mahalia, on the borders between Beida and Marib. Right. Uh, there, there was no, there, there was no, there was no mention. There is no mention of the incident that sparked the, the war between the uh, Houthis and Sheikh Yasser al-Awadi. Yeah, yeah. They neglected this. However, however, it, uh, it highlights a big part, I mean, within the conflict, because as you know, Yasser al-Awadi, uh, is, uh, is is considered like uh, uh, I mean one of the the the, the, the those the high profile sheikhs in the area and one I mean of, just uh, think about this just just think about this Ali from the time of the killing of this woman in Ratna yeah. okay until now. The Houthis have gained tremendous amount of territory in Beida yes. and Marib. You, you know, so, yeah, but just keep it, just keep, just keeping that incident in mind. You know how the killing of this woman, right? That was then a banner for Yasser al-Awadi to call for the coalition, to call for support, to raise the tribes, the Awadi tribes, uh, against the Houthis leading to him le having to leave his village and running. Now I think he's still in matter. But if we look at that incident, you know, and then look at everything else, Houthis have taken Radma, Houthis have taken Khaifa, Houthis are, 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 have taken over a southern matter all the way to Murad uh, yeah. mountain. That's a Mahi, huge, Mahi, yeah, that, yeah. That's huge. huge that, territory. Right. Right, and, and, and to 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 neglect that particular incident, you, you know, the failure of the government to deal with the Houthis uh, at that time, the failure of the coalition to deal with the Houthis. You know, we saw how late the the, the coalition airdropped weapons for for Awadi when he was not already when he had already left Beida, and then the Houthis captured all those weapons and they used them then to advance. Yeah against uh, uh, Al-Qaeda and, and ISIS and Khaifa and, and, 
and, and then move north in Yakla and move into Maru, uh, into southern Maru. You, you know, that is a huge, huge event. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, on, on, on there's a page on table three, it highlights the, it lists the, the, the attacks by Pussy forces, you know, uh, since 2019. So it lists uh, every single place, the, the prison, the, the Thai central prison, the women's prison that the Houthis uh, attack. And um, then it highlights something that we discussed with Labib, right? The, the, the detentions that we, that we highlighted uh, in, a, in, our, in our conversation with, with uh, Labib a few weeks ago. So you want to summarize this section, uh, Ali? In Arabic, can can you show can you show it, uh, yep. Fernando, yep. to me? I mean, the biggest. Go ahead. Uh, الانتهاء الانتهاكات القانون لحقوق الانسان الدولي يعني الوقائع وال الانتهاكات القانون الدولي وايضا الضربات الطيران بطيران التحالف التقرير وصلت الضوء على الانتهاكات التي للقانون الدولي لحقوق الانسان في اليمن وايضا الاحداث التي ارتبطت مع ضربات طيران التحالف The Banal Investigated Five Year Strikes بعد او الخبرات حققوا في خمس ضربات وتوصلوا الى نتائج ضربات طيران تحالف وتوصلوا الى نتائج ضربتين في فبراري عند جولاي عام 2020 في اكتوبر في اكتوبر الفريق التقى بفريق تقييم ضربات طيران التحالف في الرياض وتحصلوا على معلومات حول تمام ضربات خاطئه نفذها طيران التحالف ايضا وفي نوفمبر السعوديه زودت اللجنه بمعلومات عن ثمان ضربات البعثه الاممية تحققت 
فيها هذه الضربات كانت بين العام 2016 و2019 ايضا الفريق الاممي تحصل على معلومات انه هناك تعويض دفع على الضحايا ظل ضحايا 6 من هذه الضربات بواسطه التحالف هؤلاء الناس او الذين تم تعويضهم قدموا الى مارب وحصلوا على تعويضات على على النقد وفي هذا الجزئيه التقرير سلط الضوء على سلط الضوء على بعض الانتهاكات التي يزعم بانها حدثت في معتقلات تتبع السعوديه والامارات البعثة الأممية أو هذا تحقق في خمس حالات اعتقال هؤلاء المعتقلين نقول السعودية إلى السعودية ومنهم ثلاثة لا زالوا محجزين هناك أيضا التقرير يقول يواصل التحقيق في اعتقالات عشوائية و أخفاق قسري وتعذيب بما يزعم القوات تتبع الإمارات في اليمن. هنا هنا أيضا التقرير تحقق في 21 حالة لاعتقالات عشوائية وتوقيف كان كان يقدون كان يقدون no I mean about uh, the 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 the, the arrest and detentions in Shabwa yes yes here Yeah, this is this is one of the the, the sections that you wanted to highlight because it, it is uh, attributing you, you know arrest and detentions to the the, the Southern Transitional Council, um, and and uh, highlighting the role of security belt forces, for example, against uh, females in Darsad, uh, etc. But you, you know there are a couple of annexes here. Uh, but I'll tell you that you, you know there isn't much detail because you know if we look at if we look at the STC here in particular, there the panel is not linking this the STC to the security belt forces, right? So there we have to look at the political and security section first to see how the panel links the yeah, SDC yeah. to the security belt forces. What authority does the SDC have on the security belt? Uh, why is that that security that the SDC has command and control of the security belt forces? Why the security belt is acting on behalf of the SDC, for example? I mean, a SDC wears the PDRY flag, 
we discussed this in our first two interviews, in our first uh, two episodes. You know, the SDC continues to wear the PDRY flag, which is used by the SDC. The security belt forces do not use the, the ROY, the Republic of Yemen flag. We discussed this, you, 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 yes. you know, with Khaled uh, Yemeni too, because when, when the special envoy visited Aden and the gov- governor Lamlas was giving the, the special envoy a tour, all the bodyguards at the airport that day were security belt forces and had PDRY flag. You, yeah. you, you know, so where is this? Where is this link? Where where are we making this link? So we'll go over, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll go over the political and security uh, section to see where the panel links the the security belt and the transitional government. Yeah, the transitional council. Okay, and uh, attacks by Houthi forces again. Uh, this is the list. So. For me now, um, you know, I want to share something to highlight this issue of a leading, because now we're going to move into the political and security um, section, the links between the SDC and the security belt forces. So, you know, our friends in the South are not going to like this, but it is what it is, as we now say here in the U.S., you know, and if we look here, um, we see the news. This is from January 26, 2021. Um, and this is about the Ministry of Agriculture visiting the new uh, security belt leader in Abiyan. You know, we can do the little translation so those who are not Arabic speakers can, can look. And, you know, the, the, the question, you know, that, that, that's asked is what's the relationship between agriculture and security belt forces? But it's interesting because someone in the panel has brought up this issue in Abiyan. And one of the things that has been brought up was when you look at the fighting between the GOY forces and the security belt forces in Abiyan, if you look at the geography of the fight since last year, since 2019, the border of Shokra to the west, the area around Shokra, which is the border, this is where the detente is, this is where, you know, when the Riyadh Agreement started, this is where both forces clashed and they stopped, you know. So this area is one of Abian's most fertile areas. This is where the farms are in Abian. Well, it's not only important for food production, but it's also important for tax revenue. You know, so when we look at and we'll look at the political uh, section of this, the the, the panel addresses the self-administration declaration by the SDC in the summer last year, you know, and we have to look at this news linked to way back then, the summer of 2020. The you you know uh, September October 2019 when the fighting was there and why this important you know, th- this territory this area is so important and, and, and why this is happening uh, today and, and and I'm kind of disappointed that this kind of detail was not <laughs> included in the explanation 
in 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 the uh, in the in the panel report. Okay. Any comments, uh, Ali? No, no, no. Thank, thank you. Go, go, go ahead. Okay. So now we go to the first section, which is the political um, and security section of the panel of, of the report. And it's very interesting again for a number of reasons, and we'll go we'll go through these. Um, so, you know, when when we're talking about ties, let's share this part here. Um, share the screen. This is of interest because again, it talks about. Um, well, we were just talking about the IHL violations. So this section, paragraph 54, looks at the conflict in ties. Yeah? It looks at the role played by the 22nd, the 170th Brigade, the 35th Brigade, um, the Axis, military Axis, and Abdurrahman al-Shamsani. Yeah? And it looks at Raswan Ali Mansour Rahlafi, which whom I've written a, a little bit about, so, over the last couple of years, when, when I described the fighting in in, in Taiz, and, and and his name is always coming up, and his relationship to the commander of the twenty second brigade, and when we look at this with Sadiq Sarhan, you know, in two thousand seventeen, when I was the armed groups expert, I wrote about uh, Taiz, the fighting, and then eventually wrote about the killing of the ICRC uh, worker outside the city of Taiz, and we describe the role that soldiers and checkpoints manned by the 22nd Brigade uh, played in that assassination. Um, so, you, you, you know, it's, it's good that, that, that the uh, panel addressed this, and here they provide an image of Kaswan and Mahlafi and Sarhan. Yeah, yeah? this one. So, this is Aswan. Yeah, Gaswan is the young guy over here, and, and this is uh, the commander, Sadiq Sarhan, yeah? And then on 57, this is interesting <clears throat> because we've seen in 20, 2019, 2020, we saw the resurgence of influence from Hamoud al-Makhlafi in, in Taiz, you know, and I've written a little bit about the friction uh, in Taiz between Islahis Link to the Islam leadership in Riyadh and Islahi wing, you know, allied with Mahlafi, who lives in Turkey and Qatar. Yeah. yeah. So this this particular section again fails to highlight that part of the conflict. You, you, you know, it focuses on Mekhlafi, it focuses rightly on, on the creation of these militia, but it doesn't mention um, this tension that exists inside Taiz and why. And this is, you know, the role of Turkey, Qatar, funding certain Islah members, while the Saudi Arabia and the GOI have a wing of Islah um, controlling ties and the tensions that, that exist. Um, and it's interesting that the, the panel highlights the role of uh, Mehlafi's foundations 
you, 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 you know, and who funds these foundations and who operates these foundations on the ground um, it, it is also missing in, in, in this, uh, in the report. And, and it, for me, it's important because this is part of what contributed to the crisis between uh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar uh, years back, uh, three years ago, and the UAE and Qatar with the GCC crisis. So yes. I, I think that this was uh, this was missed in, in, in the report, and 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 and, and it was important um, to to highlight. I think. Uh, next is uh, let me go back. Anything that you want to highlight? Ali? No, no, it, it was it was clear. It was clear, uh, Fernando. Right. So now, or while I look around, uh, our audience, I guess, can can take a little break from listening to us ranting along here, um, but. I want to start talking. Uh, where are we? Ah, yes. This is the first time that the panel looks at individual regional actors uh, in the report. It was always highlighted as the coalition, so Saudi and yeah. the Emirates and their role. But in this particular section uh, of the challenges to regional peace and security and stability, the panel goes straight. It's a good thing. It goes straight into naming, you, you, you know, yes, four yes. countries, four countries. Countries and, and individuals as, as well. Right, right. So this is a really good this is a really good portion uh, of the of the report looking straight into Iran and again I'm surprised that the media you know didn't jump on this right away um, maybe they only had maybe they only received a portion of the finance and they didn't receive the whole report but we got the whole report and this is one of the main things that I want to highlight because. This is the conflict, and this is what's complicating. This is what's making it more complicated to to deal with the peace process and de-escalation of the conflict. Um, the first section on paragraph twenty it looks at the Islamic Republic of Iran and their role. And you you know, I just had I just did an interview today earlier today where I talked about this, and you know, unfortunately. The panel is giving too much weight to, 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 to the statements by, you know, Iranian officials like this Brigadier General uh, Shakarji, um, who claims that Yemen is in their sphere, you know. And in my interview, um, it probably comes out on, on Friday, uh, I said that this line is always exaggerated. I, I know people want to jump on the line about the relationship between Iran and the Houthis. Iran and Sana'a, and now Iran has a new ambassador. But this is more of a relationship that legitimizes the Houthis internationally, and this is a PR win for Iran. You know, it is a way for them to claim that they are at the back door of Saudi Arabia. You know, 
Um, we know that, that, that it gives Iran that ability to destabilize Saudi Arabia from abroad without actually doing it themselves. You know, the Houthis are doing it for them. But this report is excellent in the way that it links uh, Iran and the Houthis, in particular with the weapons. Uh, and we'll go through that in the next section. One of the things, again, that I want to highlight, and because we are a week or so from the, from the date when the U.S. sanction listed on Sarallah as a foreign terrorist organization, you, you, you know, we, we're going to see this. I'm going to highlight this everywhere we see it, and you'll see it here in the report. You know, the Iranians use Ansarallah. They, whenever they refer to authorities in, 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 in Sana'a, it's always Ansarallah. They stay away from using Houthis, you know. And we see this same thing with the UN envoy um, that uses Ansarallah, not the Houthis. So, you know, a lot of people crit uh, criticize uh, Martin Griffins, the, the UN envoy, because he refers to uh, Abdul Malik and Husi as Sayyid. <laughs> you, you, you know, every time he, he refers to Abdul Malik, he, he, he calls him Sayyid Abdul Malik. And people are like, you need to stop using that title. But, you, <laughs> you, you, you know, um, it just further legitimizes in, 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 in the eyes of, uh, of Yemenis, it, it just further legitimizes uh, Abdul Malik, right? So then the, these paragraphs go um, into the axis of resistance, right, which the Iranian leaders are pushing and pushing. Uh, but the panel continues to use, you know, Houthi, the Houthis, Houthi authority, Houthi rebels, Houthi leaders, Houthi ideology. So it is very interesting the way that the panel maintains this line. When, when I was on the panel, we used this line, we used this. So it's interesting that they they continue to to use this this approach um, uh, amidst the current political uh, climate. Yeah. Then it proceeds. The panel proceeds to highlight the role uh, the role of Oman, and I'll say that this is kind of close to me <laughs> because um, in 2018, when I pushed on this. To put on the uh, on the on the report, there was pushback against this, and, and and always the question was, "Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence?" The evidence was there. People just didn't want to trust the sources, you know. So now, the panel under new organization under new leadership, there's a new coordinator. Um, I don't know, the relationship with SCAD has changed or they've been given a little bit more, you know, leeway here. But it is, it is interesting that they're highlighting Oman at this stage. You, you, you know, and the focus on so far has been on the Mercy flights, which we know since 2016 have played a role in the transferring of officials from the Houthi side to Oman, from Oman into Sana'a. This is how the information I have from last year, this is how the new Iranian ambassador entered Sana'a. You, you know, yes. during that prisoner exchange, which the report highlights and with a statement from, from, from Oman and from the envoy, this is how 
the 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 new ambassador arrived, moved from traveled from Oman into Sanaa, within a UN flight, on an Omani flight, uh, during the prisoner exchange, under the auspices of the ICRC and the UN envoy. Um, so this is this is. Uh, a very interesting, and I'm glad that they did deal with in paragraph 25 to deal with with the smuggling, and we'll go through it uh, in the arms section and, and later. Um, but there, it's clear uh, how they de- uh, describe it in in, in 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 the previous panel in 2018. We described the northern route from Oman, North Mahra, Hadramaut to Al Jaw. Yeah. So now the panel is describing the sea. Uh, route that has been utilized for a while, and then it goes straight into Saudi Arabia, and it, and, and it, uh, it addresses the role of Saudi Arabia um, with the remittances with the with, with Yemenis living abroad, uh, and you know how the loss of territory has affected uh, the coalition, yeah, and how the Saudis push the U.S. to list uh, Houthis as a foreign terrorist organization. Then it goes into the UAE, and uh, it, it does highlight UAE opposition to both Houthis and Islam. But interestingly in, in, enough, uh, the section this section highlights how the UAE has listed uh, the Houthis already as a terrorist organization, but it doesn't highlight how the UAE listed the Al Islam by name as a terrorist organization. It's not you, you know while the Saudi Arabia listed. Uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, the UAE listed al-Islah itself. So that's interesting uh, that it's missing. And then it highlights the relationship between the UAE and security belt forces and uh, Shabwani forces. Uh, it does address the U.S. with the Houthis. Any comments, uh, Ali? No, no, thanks, uh, Fernando. Go, and then I will, uh, at the end, I will highlight the, the summary. Well, this is something that I want you to definitely, because you're not, and definitely I want you to comment on. And this is, you know, section B, uh, paragraph 39, uh, where the panel addresses the consolidation of power by the, by the Southern Transitional Council. This is a pretty big thing, because three years after the council, the, 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 the Transitional Council was, was created, uh, finally, the I think the panel has taken the analysis up a, up a notch. Um, 2017, 2018, we incorporated the role the STC was playing on the ground, the challenges to the to, to the GOI. But this panel now, you you know, on paragraph 39, the panel finds that the activities of the Southern Transitional Council in 2020 constitute a violation of paragraph one and six of resolution 2216. So now the panel is arguing that in fact, the SDC is within their mandate. Um, and this is interesting because if the SDC actions are in violation of 2216, then it opens up the SDC leadership to sanctions. Yeah, as, as uh, the panel is uh, hinting that the Security Council must um, sanction the, the STC, right? Should look at the leadership, right? And the, 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 from the beginning, from the introduction, the panel mentioned Aydrus, right? Yeah. And Hani Bimbrey. 
And then this, in this paragraph, it highlights the, the unilateral declaration of self-administration in April of last year, right? Um, yeah. Which was rescinded in July uh, as the Riyadh talks began uh, on the Riyadh agreement. So paragraph 41, you know, makes a pretty big allegation in a way. And, and again, it, it's 2017, the panel, 2018, the panel linked SDC to security to battle forces. But in 2018, the panel made it clear that the GOY had incorporated security forces under the Ministry of Interior. So back then, the Hadis government claimed they had authority over the, the, over the security belt forces and not the SCC. And when yeah. we signed 2019, the conflict in Aden, right, in October and September, in September, August, September, October in 2019, you know, with Al-Maysari, the Ministry of, uh, of Interior and the, uh, and, and the SCC after the killing of Abu al-Yamama in, in 2019, yeah. we saw how al and the government itself claimed that they had no control over the of the security belt, and these were SDC forces. Yeah. So you know, in, in one year, the, the GOY claimed they had control of the security belt forces. The next year, they said they don't have any control of it. And now the panel here on paragraph forty one it says in Aden security operations are conducted by the forces affiliated with the SDC. You know. Yeah. Um, contrary. Contrary. And, and, and you, you know, the, it continues to say the silent transition council, the SDC also used force to appropriate around 100, uh, around 80 billion real or 120, approximately 120 million dollars from the government of Yemen using security belt forces. So the panel here it names Aydarus, Hani Ben Breik, and Shalal as having operational control over security belt forces in Aden against the government. Yeah? Yeah. Anything from your side? Exactly. Uh, you want to summarize this? It's, uh, it's, 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 I mean, uh, Fernando, it's uh, some very plain uh, somehow because uh, as I told, as I said before, that they did, uh, didn't bring, I mean, specific Incidents or specific, uh, I mean, uh, incidents that uh, the STC or the, the forces affiliated with the STC, as they say, right. have committed or right. just to summarize this in Arabic so we can move on to the, to the next section. Okay. Uh, can, can you, can you, uh, I, uh, yes, the, uh, the top. Okay. في هذه الفقرة بتقرير وضح قوة تعظم قوة المجلس الانتقالي يقول إن الخبراء وجدوا إن الأنشطة التي يقوم بها المجلس الانتقالي في عام 2020 يعني اعتبرت انتهاك بالنسبة للفقرة الأولى والفقرة السادسة من 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 قرار 2016 قرار مجلس الأمن الذي يطلب من كل الجهات الجهات الصراع اليمني تراجع عن 
الاجراءات الاتحاديه الجانب التي تعرف عمليه الانتقال السياسي. وانه المجلس الاستقالي في 25 ابريل قام باعلان الاداره الذاتيه بشكل واحد الجانب وهذا يعتبر يعني جزء من العرقله التي وضعها المجلس امام الحكومه الشرعيه. وفي الفقره 40 انه هناك يعني هناك مواجهات التي حدثت بين الحكومه والمجلس الاستقالي في ابيان وفي سقطرى تصاعدت بشكل كبير المجلس الاستقالي يقول انه قام بالسيطره على المؤسسات الدوله في سقطرى في يونيو في 20 يونيو ومن ذلك الحين لم تستطع لا الحكومه ولا السعوديه استعاده السيطره على تلك المؤسسات. اوكي. وهنا ذكر انه في في الفقره 41 ستوب 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 يعني القوات التابعه للمجلس الاستقالي قامت بنهب 80 مليار ريال ما يقارب 125 مليون من الحكومه في فتره الاداره الذاتيه وهنا هنا حقيقه يعني يدخل الخبراء يعني يقولوا انه قيادة المجلس الانتقالي عدل الزبيدي هادي بن بريك وشلال علي شايع منعوا ايضا من العوده الى عدن بواسطه التحالف لكنهم لا زالوا مؤثرين على الارض لا زالوا الاجراءات التي يقومون بها بشكل يعني احادي تعيق السلام So yeah, I mean that, that to me is very important, and 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 it's taking uh, again. We just we we talked when when we spoke with Labib, and when I had when, when I had the long chat with Halera uh, Yemeni, we talked about the the, the problems you, you you know of um, the mandate, the frame, the the scope of the mandate of the panel, and what they could write about, what they could investigate, what they couldn't. So it's it's good that they that they've taken this this step further. But again, I wish that they would have elaborated a little bit more. And, and, uh, uh, but go ahead. Don't don't you see that there is the the panel couldn't link between? Uh, I mean, uh, the the Riyadh agreement. Right. I mean, we we don't see that. Right. We we don't see that uh, as we should bring it. You know, to yeah, summarize yes. what happened since November 2019. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, they are talking as Riyadh agreement wasn't signed and wasn't there. Uh, I think in this, while they are describing the cons- consolidation of the STC forces or the STC grip on the ground, they have to link it with the, the Riyadh agreement because the, the, uh, the UN uh, su- support Riyadh agreement. Right, 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 right. 
it, it is uh, it is missing, and we'll go through the rest of this to see you know where else they address it. But you know, again, uh, the panel addresses the killing of Hassan Said, which we just I mentioned during the the talk about the finance. You know, but again, it doesn't go into any any, any analysis on this. It's just you, you know an incident that happened. Um, it does have uh, the paragraph, the interesting paragraph addressing the internal conflict. Um, the internal conflict within the, the Houthi leadership. But again, you know, it, I think that here it would have been good to, to link it back to previous panel reports um, looking at the role of Abdul Malik al Houthi. You, you, you know, what makes him the leader? Uh, what makes him the leader? What, why is his leadership threatened? And it's interesting because this is a fairly controversial issue because the UN panel of eminent uh, experts that's based in Beirut, in their first report, they called Abdel Malik al-Houthi the leader of the revolution. It, you know, this was very problematic because it legitimized the Houthis in, in a very different way, you know, for, for, for an international body to do that. Um, the panel in this segment doesn't provide that introduction that it usually provided, you, you, you know, in past years about Abdul Malik al Houthi and the structure of the Houthi family and the leadership at the moment. It just dives in into this, into the description of this internal conflict, which does exist. I'm not taking away from 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 those facts. You know, you have again this. Another thing that, that, that this report is not doing is you, in order to be, to provide more detail, in order to provide more nuance, you need to do the simplest thing, which is Abdul Madik Badr al-Din al-Husi and Abdul Karim Amir al-Din al-Husi. You need to establish that relationship between Abdul Malik and Abdul Karim. There, you know, Abdul Karim is his uncle. Yeah, and it's interesting that they do it with Muhammad Ali Al Houthi, but they don't do it with Abdul Karim or Abdul Malik Al Houthi. So we are, you, you, you know, to people that are keeping track of this, to Yemenis, we we are, you know, you understand that you know he's not the brother of Abdul Malik; he's a relative of Abdul Malik, and he's a relative of Abdul Karim. Yep. Yeah, but the two wings... Muhammad, the two, Muhammad right, but the two wings of the Houthi family, Badr al-Din al-Houthi, Amir al-Din al-Houthi. You know, this is, it, it is important for, for, for people to understand why it is important to highlight these two names, the two fathers, you, you, you know, the father of Hussein al-Houthi and the father of Abdul Karim, the uncle. Because from the beginning, when the time when Abdul Malik became officially the leader of the Houthi movement after uh, Hussein was killed, there was tension between Badr al-Din al-Husi and Abdul Karim al-Husi, for example. Because, you know, Abdul Malik is young, was young, inexperienced, you know, etc. And in the Hashemi lineage competition issue, uh, Abdul Karim uh, 
was in a better position to take over leadership of the movement instead of Abdel Malik. And up until last year, when Abdel Karim became Minister of Interior, Abdel Karim had remained in the back, you, you, you know, behind closed doors. He was the one managing the economic, uh, the, the executive committee, managing the, the supervisors, everything. But then the conflict between security forces and supervisors escalated to, to a point where uh, uh, Abdel, Abdel Karim had to step in publicly, take over the Ministry of Interior, and basically make, him, make his presence known in order to keep control of, of the conflict that was going on in 2018, you know? Um, so there, there is no, in my opinion, there should be more background on this particular um, issue. And again, uh, an individual that definitely, you know, the panel published a report in uh, July of 2020, which is confidential. We can't find out what's in there, but I assume this particular section on Ahmed Hamid uh, was in that confidential report. Um, and the reason why I'm surprised that he, Ahmed Hamid, was not one of the ones sanctioned by the U.S. You, you, you know, the, the, the U.S. Yeah, sanctioned that's five that's individuals that's in December. Right. Uh, five individuals in December. That's right. And, and 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 after we read everything that that Ahmed Hamid is is managing with Skamcha, basically we've mentioned Skamcha before on Twitter and during our interviews uh, with uh, Yamani, Labib, and and, and others. Um, this is an excellent profile uh, of Ahmed Hamid, and again we have to assume you know Sultan Sabid was sanctioned by the U.S. In, in, in December 2020. Um, so it is, uh, it's, it's an excellent profile. The annexes on it are, are excellent with showing the, the relationship to Skamcha and the relationship to other, other Houthi leaders. Uh, but again, I'm surprised that, that Ahmed Hamid was not in the list uh, of individuals uh, sanctioned by the U.S. Um, again, not... Not too much on Tariq Saleh and, uh, uh, you know, the guards of the Republic and Amalika, but there, there, there are mentioned. There are mentioned. Uh, then there's the conflict in Taiz. Uh, let me, let me uh, check to see. Uh, any comments? Anything, uh, Ali, while I'm looking for this other section? No, no. Oh, I think uh, the weapon, the weapon smuggling is is a very important section. Yeah, I'm gonna. That's next. So we're gonna go right into this. Um, so this is an excellent. This is an excellent uh, section. This map. This map highlights all the incidents. Uh, maritime security incidents around Yemen, and, and and so you know you see here the 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 targeting uh, of Saudi and and other international vessels with mines or or uh, drone boats, and as well as the seas boats, and and we'll show this uh, coming up. So you know it has on the the attacks. 
very good stuff on the attacks uh, by drone boats on international ships in uh, the Red Sea. But what I what I want to get into is something you know. This is. Um, a look at the vessel that was hit. And this particular analysis is very interesting because the panel and, and authorities are alleging that this was caused by divers. Divers placed an ID, a, a mine, a, a, an explosive on the ship because this happened below the waterline. So this is very interesting. Um, and, and, and the panel is actually linking this to conflicts in Shebwa over oil, over smuggling routes, rather than blaming it on Houthis or AQ, because back when this incident took place, some analysts claimed that AQAP would probably claim this incident, but they haven't. Um, so any, any, any comments, Ali? No, it was clear because uh, it was illustrated with the map, and it was it was I mean uh, lots of de details. Right, this map here too, you know, puts the spot on all the the, the attacks on uh, claimed by Houthis uh, in Saudi territory. Uh, the blue missiles and the pinkish uh, figure are the drones. So again, the ones in Riyadh and Yanbu are disputed as, as, as not really having been by Houthis, uh, but it doesn't get into that analysis here. I, it does get into the type of missiles that could have been used. And so linking it back to 2017, uh, the strike in November 2017 in Riyadh with the two missiles, you know, the panel points to the Burhan 2H and the Quds uh, 1 as being the potential uh, missiles used to hit. And so the panel links it back to the Houthis. Uh, this is pretty big, too. And I haven't read the Reuters uh, article on the CBY, the, 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 the corruption in the CBY and everything, but... This is pretty big expose on figure seven after paragraph 71, where the panel alleges to have received information concerning a transfer of weapons from government military officers or camps to the Houthis in Al Jaw. So this is something that has been highlighted elsewhere with regarding, you know, the smuggling of weapons from Madhub to the Houthis, you, you, you know, selling of weapons from Madhub to the Houthis. Uh, yeah. And this is why a lot of times when, when we see analysis of weapons by Houthis, a lot of people point to these having been issued to the coalition or being American weapons or being European weapons, you know, so, this particular memo here claims that um, those weapons ended up in Houthi hands. So this is a list 
of int uh, interdictions where uh, various naval forces have captured boats um, around Yemen, Yemeni coast. So now what I highlighted here is the interesting part, okay? And this is part of the debate that goes on among analysts of, uh, regarding these boats and the smuggling of weapons. You know, a lot of these boats are captured with light weapons, AK-47s, munition, um, et cetera. Things that actually, you know, are in abundance in, in Yemen. Uh, Yemenis don't, I mean, the Houthis don't need to smuggle Chinese AK-47s. They have plenty of AK-47s, you know. They have plenty of munitions. They, they produce their own munitions for AK-47s because the, the army had uh, the, that capacity under Ali Abdullah Saleh. So the interesting thing is on this boat, they had chemical fertilizer. And if you recall, authorities in Aden seized truckloads of fertilizer a couple of years ago. You know, so it would be interesting yeah. to see if this is the same type of fertilizer that was seized back then in Aden, you know, in Lahaj. Then this other ship is interesting, and this is what we can say could be this smuggling of Iranian weapons to this is the, the begin the, the more evidence that uh, to strengthen the argument that Iran is in, in, uh, introducing weapons to, to, for Houthis or the Houthis are bringing in weapons from Iran because this boat was captured with missile launch containers. And, and I'll show you in a little bit how they are Iranian, you know, the markings. Yes, yes, uh, Fernando, that was, uh, I mean, uh, recently investigated. Uh, if you remember a couple of months, I, I still remember when uh, a committee went to Aden board to investigate what kind of uh, fertilizer and right. I think they, it's still the, 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 sh the shipment is still there available right. there right and then in this same boat there were anti-tank uh, missiles containers there were components for two types of missiles cruise missiles and there were devices for uh, IEDs, for example. Again, another one, containers, optical sites, and we'll go through this. And then on this one, it's RPGs and anti-tank containers. Now, there is a very interesting thing coming up, and, and this just talks about the route through Oman, yeah, through the waters of Oman. This, this figure, figure map four, uh, shows, you know, the route from Bandar al-Abbas in Iran to Oman, into the Yemeni coast, Mahra uh, and Hadramaut, yeah? So it, 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 it's interesting. But this particular paragraph, and paragraph 74, is interesting because it addresses a lot of what some people like me have argued, that often uh, the coalition and the U.S. make a big deal about these small boats with small weapons without the nuance, without pointing out that a lot of these shipments are going to Somalia. There may be Yemeni smugglers. Yemeni smugglers have been making money off the conflict in the Horn of Africa for a decade, you, you, you know, decades. And there are a lot of Yemeni smugglers who smuggle into the Horn of Africa, whether it's Djibouti or Somalia or Eritrea, you know. So it's interesting that this paragraph highlights that some of these boats were destined for Somalia. You know, they were just captured on, in Yemeni waters. Um, 
and and these go through 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 some of the evidence uh the smuggling of components that that you see here this is what i was referring to you know the the route used to go from mahra to northern hadramaut to aljaw and 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 this particular shipment you know captured uh uav uh components etc so it's it's good that they that they highlighted this um the cruise missiles you know again the panel highlights how the procurement process from western europe or china into yemen you know how many of these components were purchased by companies in west in germany or switzerland ended up in iran and then ended up in in yemen you know uh the same thing for the for for china you know i wrote an, an article about how Houthis were buying off the shelf drones in Malaysia or Ch southern China and then those were the ones that they were using for surveillance uh early in the conflict area on the surface to air missiles brings in China Hong Kong and the Netherlands so these are investigations i'm pretty sure we're going to keep reading about these investigations later on uh the uavs this is a major this is a really good two paragraphs right here really good two paragraphs because they clearly point to iran through companies you know through companies registered in iran uh procuring weapons or components for iranian weapons but instead of being used for iranian weapons they ended up in yemen uh this is really good here uh paragraph 84 on the small weapons with the anti-tank uh missiles the anti-tank systems and how they've been altered in Iran from their original russian models so take a look at these this is what i wanted to show you when you asked me about the video take a look at these right rpg launchers and this the AM50 Sayat. Now, the reason why I want you to take a look at this is because some of you that follow me on Twitter uh will will notice how Joshua Kuntz and I go back and forth on Twitter. Uh he does a great job at looking at Houthi and Al-Qaeda videos. to geolocate uh their presence and their uh weapons more than anything so look at this okay so he geolocated the anti-tank canisters that are of the same type as those highlighted by the panel and furthermore he's geolocated it here you know he's pinned but this right here he has been doing a lot of really good work over the recent months i mean all throughout 2018 geolocating every single one of these iranian sniper rifles you know and a lot of people have been asking well there's no evidence there's no evidence there's no evidence that these are iranian because it's an austrian uh, type uh but this these are made by Iran specifically his contacts his weapon experts have 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 
assured him that these are Iranian. And you see these in Adala. The, this was uh, a sniper that was captured by forces in Adala with, with one of these uh, 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 Houthi sniper using this rifle. And the question is, for me to, to Joshua for a while has been, you know, Joshua, um, you know, where, you know, he, here they are. And here's an image. Where's the, where's the image? Oh, my God. I, I kind of lost it. But he has an image of the sniper rifle in one of those shipments. You know, and for me, I've always asked him, uh, Joshua, is this rifle, is it present in Yemen before the current war? Before 2015, do we see the Houthis using this rifle? And he still has not been able to locate uh, images of this, this particular rifle used before this war. So, you know, it would be, again, adding to the links between Iran and the Houthis if this particular uh, rifle entered the war after 2015, you know? It, it just lends to more and more evidence uh, of their relationship. Any comments, any, anything from you? No, no. I, I think you are more familiar with the, the women's. <laughs> and uh, okay, I think that's you know. I think I think that's it, man. I think we we went through the four four sections. Yeah. We went you, we went through the whole the the, the whole sections. Right, and, and I mean, let me know what what do you what did we miss? What do you want to highlight? What what? Uh, what should people keep an eye on? Just, uh, just, I mean, uh, the women smuggling roads, uh, the panel focused on Oman as specifically, I mean, the, and say that some shipments were brought through uh, the coastal roads of Oman and Somalia. So could you highlight a little bit, I mean, and this point exactly? Yeah. Uh this has been since 2017 when I was on the panel in 2018. There's definitely been, you know, an effort to investigate this route from Oman, but Oman has always pushed back. You, you, you know, the panel has requested to visit Oman on various occasions, and Oman, on the first time, Oman canceled the visit like at the last minute. Other times, you know, were not very receptive to 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 this. And uh, the panel has requested to visit Masyuna, you know, on the border area. Masyuna, which is right at the border in the middle of, of, of the crossing and the area between Salala and the border uh, uh, with Mahra. And um, that's an area that, the, 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 that I had access to. I had contacts in Mahra, uh, you, you, you know, and other experts have had contacts in Mahra. To, to allow for interviews and, you know, go in and ask questions and, and, and find out, you know, who is allowing the smugglers? Are these smugglers really, really good? And they're, you know, going around Omani uh, authorities that well or somebody's facilitating? Uh, the, 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 the panel in this report highlights that 
there is no evidence that the Omani government, uh, anyone in the Omani government is facilitating this. So the, the government, the, the, the panel goes out of the way to make sure that, that that's it, that, that that's highlighted, but it does make recommendations that Oman needs to improve their capacity to deal with smugglers along their coast, you know, and also to call on international navies to patrol the Arabian Sea, you know, the, the Hormuz, et cetera, better in order to, to capture more of these boats, boat transfers. Uh, and this, and this, and, and the panel highlights, you know, the, the, the transfer by sea. So from a big ship, from a mothership into a Dow into Yemen, you know, so that, that's interesting. It's not saying that ships are landing in porting in, uh, in Oman and then transferring to Yemen. So that's also interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're not also, highlighting. Also, Fernando, uh, Fernando also the, 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 the report neglected or ignored. What's happening, what's happening to the civilians and the soldiers of the elite forces in Chapwa? They didn't, didn't mention any, anything about them. Why? Right. Right, right. There, there was no, there was nothing about the 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 protest in 2020 in Shabwa where where civilians were killed. Right, there was nothing about the arrest of children, of children in Shabwa. Right, uh, the the kidnapping of the children of uh, pro FCC officials, for example. Um, uh, yeah. th- these were things that were not highlighted, and and again, um. Again, I'm surprised because there are two IHL experts on the panel and they have, you, you know, tons of room to, to discuss this. You know, if, if I may, let me look. Yeah, let me. Also, the, 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 the situation in Wadi Hadramaut was totally ignored. Mahra? There was nothing about Mahra. I mean, you, you, Mahra. you, you know, the, the protest in Mahra continue. The, the 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 Saudis the, the the coalition and the Saudis have uh, increased their presence in, in, in Mahra, you know, and uh, the report itself is less than forty nine pages, less than forty nine pages so far. Like again, th- this needs to be edited. This should be uh, a draft, but there are forty nine pages for an annual report. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the two reports that I took part of were over 80 part, 80 pages each, and then the annexes. You, you, you know, so. Uh, f- f- yep. Fernando, l- l- let me let me ask you. Let me ask you. Did you find uh, any any I mean any mention for regarding the the significant role of Al Qaeda? No. Al Qaeda, ISIS. There's minimal. There's minimal mention of AQ. Uh, there is yeah. the mention. There is the mention of them losing uh, territory in in in, in Al Baida, and there is mention of the allegations that the government is using AQ elements, but only in passing. There is no analysis of that. There is not in depth. You know, again. Uh, the, the panel has had different views on how to address AQ. There's also this tug of war 
between the, the, the Yemen panel and the panel on AQ, the monitoring panel on AQ and ISIS. Like, you know, there is no sharing of information and the AQ monitoring team says, no, AQ is our mandate, not yours. You don't need to investigate it. But AQ and ISIS are part of this conflict, are destabilizing forces, you know, however we describe it, whether you describe AQ as a bunch of mercenaries, whether you describe AQ, AQAP as really part of this transnational global jihadist group, uh, ISIS, whether you describe it as a mercenary group or linked to Syria and Iraq um, or, or, or even the Horn of Africa. You know, it's not defined anymore. It's absent in, in the panel. And, and, you know, maybe it was in the July panel. Maybe they wrote something about it in the confidential panel, but not in this one so far. We have to wait until the final draft comes out. That's okay, Fernando. That's all. I think we have covered the whole the whole thing. Uh, the, the report included and highlighted the most, right. the most Again, crucial thing. Right. Again, why look at this article? Why look at this report? You know, why spend time going through it? Why is it important? Well, you know, the international community uses this report to try to understand what's going on in Yemen. You, you, you know, not all yeah, members did, of the Security yeah. Council, not all members of the Security Council have the same intelligence capabilities of the P5, you know, uh, Russia, China, Germany. Uh, France, UK, uh, the US. So a lot of governments use these reports to understand what's going on in the conflict. And if they don't get enough information, then they don't understand what's going on in Yemen. They, they, they can't uh, help, they can't contribute to the peace process. Uh, there is no way to determine from, from a report or from information, you know, how a peace process can begin. Um, where are the opportunities for the peace process under these scenarios that the panel report describes? Where does the UN uh, special envoy begin, you, you, you know, when, um, with this situation in, in, in Yemen? So for me, these reports, you know, are important. The information in them in the report is important. Uh, again, omissions are important. Why we're not there? Everything. Uh, there was not much about the work of the UN organizations and what's impeding their work. There was a bit on the WFP and the and the, and the corruption and everything, but so much. If you recall, last year there was a a, a group of Yemeni activists that exposed. Uh, the profits by Houthis uh, from working with UN agencies in, in Hodeida, for example. Remember the expose about the hotel, the millions of dollars spent uh, on, on, on this hotel, the security, the cars, the, the contract given to a Houthi leader for demining. So the, the, the joke was, you know, one group of Houthis mines the mines a field and then another group gets paid to remove the mines you know um and 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 th this kind of stuff you know is missing uh altogether um there is nothing about the corruption leading to the moving of the he un headquarters from the sheraton to a universal uh property 
There is nothing, you know, now that Abu Taha is not in the NSB, but, you, you know, these individuals sanctioned by the U.S., they, they're, they're not included in this report and their role included in this report. When the last report highlighted the role of Azanabiyat and the, the, the role of the, the director of security in Sana'a, you know, um, and, and again, it's less than 50 pages. The report itself is less than 50 pages. Uh, you know, the text of the report, the annexes take it up to 230 pages. But, you, you know, I think they had more, I don't, I don't recall seeing that, that their, that, that their word limit was, was decreased. Uh, but they could have, we could have seen another 20 pages or so, 30 pages of, of text. Uh, dealing with what you mentioned in Shebwa, dealing uh, with Ib, dealing with Amran, uh, dealing with the Mushrafin, you, you, you know, the, 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 the panel hasn't dealt with, with, with the supervisors since 2019. Uh, uh, who is in the, in, in the Sana'a government? Who, who are the Husi leaders in Sana'a today? You know, has anything changed over the last year, two years, uh, since, since the Ministry of Interior came out? Um, you, 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 you know, so there's some things missing. Hopefully the final version of this, uh, has a lot more information. Uh, I think I can see here that there are 65,000 words. The report is about 65,000 words when it's usually about 80,000 words. Um, so, you know, these are the things I look at because I'm kind of familiar with, with, with this process, but I'm also now on the outside wanting more information, wanting to see more information out of here. And, and, and I know Yemenis expect a lot from a UN report. And, and, and you tell me, you know, now that you've seen it, you tell me as a Yemeni, if you find it useful, if you, if, if you think it's going to contribute to something. Yes, uh, it, it, I mean, it summarized how, how the UN and how we, the UN experts just look at, at the, the conflict dynamics in Yemen. Right, right. And how, well, the, how they are handling with, with everything they here mm -hmm. uh, regarding the conflict and the politics and um, the, the, the violations right. by the different factions. Right. And, and, and I'm pretty sure that within the next few days, we're going to see new media articles out there coming out with more and more and more dealing with, with this information. I'm, I'm interested in to see how, how the media in Europe and the media in, in, in Saudi and, and Yemen deal with this report, see what they focus on, see what they talk, see what they bring up and their critiques. And, and um, uh, I want to see the final version. I want to see what, what they come up with. Uh, with once the Security Council accepts it, once they edit it, I mean, this version is has a lot of mistakes in it, uh, you, you, you know, in it. So I know it's not a final version. I know it's not a final draft. Uh, interestingly enough, I have to highlight the front page. I didn't show it. I didn't want to show it for for many reasons, but the front page is the signature page, and it has my signature there. Doesn't have my name. I haven't worked for the panel in two years. It doesn't have my name on it, but it has my signature. So that was interesting. I already emailed. I, I already, yeah, yeah, yeah. It has my signature in it. I mean, they confused. They mixed up my signature for, for somebody else's <laughs> signature. 
they put the right name of the right they put the right name of the of, of the expert uh, but they put my signature on it and I have horrible handwriting and I told my wife I'm like I recognize my signature even when I'm blindfolded I can know my signature it's so horrible you know uh, <laughs> and so I, I emailed I, I emailed a, a screenshot of it to to one of the members and I'm like Hey man, if if, if my signature is going to be on this, I need to get paid. You, you, you know, I need to get paid. I don't care about taking credit or anything. I just need to get paid. Um, but but it's interesting. Hopefully they fix it. I mean, I I know they have to fix it because this eventually is going to end oh, yeah. up in the Security Council official records. You know, and they have to remove my signature. So that that was funny. I, it was the first thing I saw. I scrolled down and I'm like, that's my signature. So that, that, that's the funny, funny part in there. But uh, thank okay. you, Ali. Uh, thank you so much. It was a, a very fruitful session. Long, long session. We, we've been here almost two hours, you, you, you know, with me rambling on. Yeah, it was. It was, it, was, it was as long as the report. <laughs> the report right. was pretty right. long. Right. Right. So, you know, last year I wrote a blog, uh, a blog post about the report right before I came out. This year, we're lucky that now we're doing this podcast and now we can do differently. You know, people can listen in parts and sections. They don't have to listen to the whole two hours in a row, but they can pick, you know, fast forward, rewind, you know, when they get tired of my voice or something. Um, but, but hopefully this is helpful. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully this is helpful to someone out there. And uh, instead of, you know, writing a blog post, uh, I get to do this. And we're going to be tweeting about this. So keep an eye on our Twitter uh, accounts, on our Facebook page. We'll, we'll, we'll be posting uh, some written analysis on some of this stuff. And, and, and hopefully you find it uh, helpful. We good? Okay, thanks. Thanks. Thank, thank you, Ali. Thank you very much. I hope your wife feels better. I hope she recovers soon. And uh, thank you. I know you're tired. I want you to go okay. home and uh, relax a little bit. Yeah, I will relax for an hour and then I will go to the gym, I think. Good, 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 good. Thank you very much again. Talk to you, okay, soon. See you soon. Talk to you. See Don't you forget. Soon. We have the second episode already up on uh, Anchor, Spotify, and on our YouTube channel. This is an interview with Ms. Farouk about Al-Haima ties and with Amar Basha uh, talking about filmmaking in Yemen. And the big thing for us is we just finished this last weekend. We finished recording this awesome episode with the theme of the 10 years since the Arab Spring. We're really excited. We don't want to post it too soon, so we're editing some stuff on it for the video and the audio, and hopefully we'll we'll post it at the end of next week, uh, closer to to yeah. the. Yeah, even I, I have I have I have seen my my followers on Facebook. They are very enthusiastic to to listen what's going on in the episode because it was really good because we have posted I mean high profile uh, figures. And we have, we're going to have Dr. Kirby, Dr. Abu Bakr al-Kirby, yeah. who is a foreign, who's a foreign foreign minister under the, the Hadi government and Ali Abdullah Saleh. We have 
uh, Amir Ali Salam al Bayd, a member of uh, of the STC. His father was president of the PDRY. He was vice president during Unity, uh, leader in Hirak, you know, close to Zubaydi and uh, Shalal. We have Nasr Rabi from Sanaa. He he's a good friend, a journalist. Uh, working from Sana'a on Twitter, Facebook, very active. We have uh, Ibrahim Katabi in New York, Yemeni American in New York. Very, very, he was very you know, active during, during the, the Arab Spring uprising in Sana'a and very close to Tawak al-Karman uh, when, before she, she, got the, uh, she received the Nobel Prize. And our good friend, Labib Nashid, again, you know, talking to us uh, about his, what he saw in in change square in 2011 the ambitions the aspirations of the youth and and everyone at change square uh and the aftermath you know he gave a pretty good uh, explanation of how the youth lost that 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 struggle uh over the last 10 years and so i'm really excited about that uh about that episode it, it will come out right before the 10 year anniversary and then we already recorded the following episode, which is an interview with Nasser al-Rabai in Sana'a about the situation in Sana'a and Mr. Uh, Munir Said, who's a consultant um, that I met, a very active person. I met him way back uh, during the Arab Spring. Um, and he has great insight. And he brought up some very interesting issues recalling the 10 years of since the Arab Spring. So we have two really good episodes, in my opinion, uh, coming up. Uh, in the yeah, movie. okay. Thank you, Ali. Now okay, it's for okay. real. Thanks so much, Fernando. See you soon. Now it's for real. We'll talk later. <laughs> Go rest. Go rest. Okay. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.